it's dark outside. We're on the back side of Sanford Stadium where East Campus Road comes up behind the stadium. The the buses have all left. The fans have gone away. It's dark. Carson Beck is sitting alone <laughs> on the curb and he's eating, eating a, waffle. a single waffle out of a Waffle House to go to go container and he's finally happy. His, his eternal thirst so happy. has finally been slaked. Now he's ready to pass on the title of Highlander. This is Chapel Bell Curve, a podcast about football and feelings. I'm Justin. I'm Nathan. And I'm Yara. And today we are here to preview UJ's upcoming matchup, Tilt, if you will, against the University of Alabama at Birmingham, the Blazers, that will be happening this weekend and I believe seven. If you haven't listened to one of our preview episodes before, we're going to talk about this from a qualitative standpoint where we get our sillies out and we make some um, lightly erotic poetry. And then we will talk about from a quantitative standpoint where we actually talk about football. It depends on the mercurial gods of the podcast, what percentage of the episode is which. It's usually about 60% qualitative, if we're being honest. We like to say that here at Chapel Bell Curve, though, we have as much football here on this show as you have in a football game, which is really one-fourth of the experience, which is really not true, I will say. I don't want to talk us down all already. <laughs> no, no, no. We're, we do a great job. We're, if you're here for us, we're here for you. You know, We just want to be sure that everyone knows what's going on coming in. Yara... If people would like to get involved in this beautiful production that we call a podcast, what can they do? I'm so glad you asked. So for as little as $1 a month, you can come listen to our live shows, come join a community of amazing, like-minded, diehard football fans at patreon.com forward slash chapel bell curve. You can come hang out for as little as like $1 a month. Or you could coming out for as much as $50 a month, which is like insane. Thanks for fucking with us that much. And you can get like an advertisement or whatever, like make us talk about whatever the hell you want. Coming out, come see what's up. I think we're a cool group of people. I think mm-hmm, you would mm-hmm. also agree, dear listener. God, now it sounds like ASMR moment. But yeah, coming out, patreon.com forward slash Shabba Let's get qualitative. I don't know if that's an adjective. It is now. I think it actually is. All right. So we have news. A lot of it's not great. So here's the thing. And I'm going to give you a direct quote from Kirby Smart, who said today on his Monday press conference that Ron Corson, who is the head athletic trainer, informed me we have the longest injury list we've had since being here. Now, I don't know if he means since Kirby Smart came in 2015 or if he means since... Ron Corson was been the head athletic trainer, which I think is way longer than that. But either way, this is a very injured team right now. So some injury updates. Amarius Mims is out indefinitely with tightrope surgery. He has an ankle sprain. That's probably four to six weeks, I'm imagining, at the very least. What is tightrope surgery? I'm sorry to interrupt you, but what is it? I saw you wrote in the notes. Tightrope surgery is a specific surgery that is used to treat high ankle sprains. It's named after this like implant that they use to stabilize the ankle called a tightrope. And it is very, I don't want to say popular, but I guess becoming more and more common among athletes because ankle sprains are a big deal, especially for people who are big, like Amarius Mims. Mm. So... I believe also Lucky Lawson 
has had tightrope surgery, yeah, it's a bracket with a single screw that kind of like holds everything together down there. I'm not fully sure how the body works, but it's apparently supposed to give you get you back faster from high ankle sprains. Kind of notoriously, hmm. high-grade ankle sprains are sort of a bane of sports players' existence. They tend to just nag. They can cost people entire seasons. And I guess tightrope surgery is something that helps. But it still is not good because it's going to be our starting right tackle out for a while. On In good news, backup reserve offensive lineman Austin Blasky is expected back. He was at times pushing for the second team and had some first team reps coming into the season. So that's also, that's good to see him back and bad news. Roger Robinson, probably our most highly recruited running back, still healthy on the, uh, on the roster is apparently has an high equal sprain. Kendall Milton, of course, has an MCL something that he has been dealing with in the past. Kirby smart has said that he does not know whether or not what the severity of either of those injuries is, but that is two more injured running backs. If you're keeping track at home, so that's three or four that are already either out for the season or seriously injured. I think we can expect to see Dylan Bell in the running back core going forward. I think he needs to just admit it and change his change his number for now because <laughs> 86 in the backfield looks weird to me. It does look weird. I always think something's wrong. Yeah, it's like, oh, God, what do we do? We did briefly have Brock Bowers in the backfield against USC, but nothing came of it, which was a bummer. Anyway, Dominic Levitt on some more interesting or less depressing news. Uh, Dominic Levitt apparently said that at halftime during USC, the coaching staff really said to take it one play at a time, one moment at a time, and that we got the W because of it. Now, I don't think I've ever heard a bigger euphemism for we got our asses kicked for 20 minutes than take it one <laughs> play at a time, one moment at a time. I believe that Kirby is totally capable and, in fact, often does have coherent thoughts at halftime. But I'm going to assume that of the 15 to 20 minutes that they had, that about half of it was not as coherent as that yeah i can't imagine kirby also kind of implicitly defended mike bobo over the weekend and echoed what we've been saying for the past few weeks the offense we've played this year this is a direct quote is the exact same offense we played in the last three years anybody who knows football will tell you the plays are the same we haven't been as explosive and dynamic i think kirby can correctly identify because he's better at football than all of us that we are running the same plays to lesser effect because we've graduated some people and because we're just not executing very well in the first half do you guys have any mm-hmm response to any of the news items today do i have to publish a notes app apology to peepaw bobo is that what i have to do now <laughs> kirby kirby just gave him like a pass that means that i that because of that i have to give him a pass i think there have been individual moments where peepaw bobo has been a little suspect but i don't think I don't think that our criticism has of him has been quite as strident as what you've heard in some sectors of the UGA fan base. I mean, saying that he needs to maybe be a little more flexible is not an original criticism for Bobo. So I, it's not like you hmm. said that we should burn down his house or anything. So I don't think we're quite to a notes apology <laughs> yet. Word. Sensational. But let us know if you ever get there. Yeah, we'd love, to, we'd love to host you. I'd really love if you were to do like a Colleen Ballinger ukulele style apology video <laughs> where you're like, Strum, yes. I said some bad things. I wanted Mike Bobo's house <laughs> to burn down like a beautiful phoenix or whatever. Who's perfect? I'm not. I'm going to gaslight you for two to three minutes. <laughs> the worst part is I wouldn't even be, I don't know how to play any stringed instruments. That's my, my hubris, right? 
I, this is an excuse, but like I'm left-handed, it's just not coming to me. You know what I can play? We have a choice between piano, oboe, a variety of wind instruments, and tuba. Those three ones are going to be what I'm best at. So this apology is going to come probably in the form of an oboe. I really love the <laughs> idea that you're using your oboe as a pitch pipe for an acapella performance. You're just like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and then you just sing like, this beautiful aria about how you're sorry that you went to a Cody County or wherever he lives and tried to burn down his house. Oh, God. I don't know why they let you have the oboe in lockup, but there you go. Recording it on yeah. your one phone call is to me. Pull up on Assy right now. <laughs> For the record, we don't want anyone to burn anyone's house down. I just need, I feel the need to say that. Yara also doesn't want to burn anyone's house down. Sure. Right? For legal, <laughs> let me rephrase. For legal purposes, for the purposes of any future depositions or turning over of evidence in the discovery process, Yara does not want to burn anyone's house down. Yara, is that correct? Yes, Dad. I don't want to burn anybody's house down. Thank you. God. <laughs> these Gen Z kids and their arson, I swear to God, it's so hard. To get these Gen Z kids away from, they just want to. They just want to sit at home with their arson and their TikTok all day, and their pi their their piles of conveniently placed oily rags. What? Yeah, because that's that's the best way to do arson is you seed a pile oh, of oily rags so that you could be like, oh no, whoops! I thought it was a Molotov cocktail. Yeah, but I thought you were trying to get away with it. Or is this like a political statement oh. that you don't... Do you want this to look like an accident or not, hypothetically? I don't know. I wasn't thinking about burning my Bobo's house down before. Okay, good. <laughs> but now I am? No, no, I don't want to. Stop, stop. The the memes, they've carried me away. <laughs> oh my god. All right, before we get even further away from the, the the main thing, I guess, let's move on to the brief history of UAB. We're looking ahead to this Saturday, and as Nathan put it, this Disney critter-ass mascot is coming to town, and we are about to just kind of give you all just a, a bit of an overview, a beautiful overview, as uh, Nathan has found so much about this team in an effort to make this episode interesting for all of you. So Nathan, please weave a, a beautiful tapestry for us about UAB. All right, so the history of the University of Alabama at Birmingham is one that is fully defined in some ways by its oppositional and oftentimes acrimonious relationship with the University of Alabama's Board of Trustees. So UAB was actually founded as University of Alabama in Birmingham in 1935, and this is sort of a theme that will define the history of the school for better and worse. So as at originally... It was just an extension service, and it was one moldy old house in downtown. It was I don't know if it was moldy, but it was one old house in downtown Birmingham <laughs> that served around 150 students. This was in 1935. In 66, after opening, after opening a school of medicine, uh, one of by the way the finest public medical schools in the world to this day. By the way. After opening a school of medicine, the geniuses at the University of Alabama decided that, hey, there are thousands of people taking classes from us in Birmingham. Maybe we should like put this all together into a university because it functionally is one. So they merged it into UAB, but it was very specifically the University of Alabama at Birmingham still to the point where the leader of UAB in its original 
organization was called the vice president for Birmingham affairs and still technically had an office in Tuscaloosa. And this went from 66 to 69 until they created the university of Alabama system. Now, unlike many other state university systems, like the USG, for instance, the university of Alabama system was fully and wholly created as a tool of the university of Alabama writ large that is at Tuscaloosa. So if you talk to people in the sort of UAB, I don't know, uh, community, they'll tell you that sort of interference from Tuscaloosa is a common and oftentimes stifling theme throughout the history of UAB. So the athletics, uh, athletics at UAB didn't actually start until 1978. In 2015, UAB had a burgeoning football program, a pretty good men's and women's basketball program, and several other Olympic sports that were doing very well. Out of nowhere, the University of Alabama, through the Board of Trustees, decides to can the, the UAB football program in 2015. They, I think they also did the men's rifle team and the men's bowling team, kind of as an excuse. And the reason was that it wasn't making enough money, despite the fact that it had raised like $15 million privately from individual donors. So the UAB Board of Trustees at the time was de facto controlled by a guy named Paul Bryant Jr., which is to say Bear Bryant's son. And the sort of UAB hate train from Tuscaloosa institutionally continued to the point where they actually canned their football program in 2015 and then missed the 2016 season. So in 2017, they, after a huge public backlash and outcry, led by one of my favorite UAB alumni, my former professor, Dr. John Knox, by the way, the UAB football team was reinstated for 2017 under Bill Clark. Bill Clark is... I mean, they might as well build the damn statue of him. He is he is the guy who defines UAB football, I, often for better. I mean, he was running a very, very good program and a program that was good enough that in the realignment tangle that UAB actually ended up in a better conference than it had previously been in. This is UAB's first year going from Conference USA, the CUSA, which is one of the worst divisions in power in FBS football to the American Athletic Conference, replacing Cincinnati and Houston and the people that went to the Big 12. So Bill Clark does a good enough job that they actually move up a conference. And yet there are still all these rumors of institutional meddling from the University of Alabama system to the point where Bill Clark, Clark retires last year at 55, citing, citing health concerns. So that is weird because 55 is not that young for a college football. It's not that old for a college football coach. And there are rumors, unsubstantiated rumors, but there are rumors that he left in part because of athletic issues caused by the meddling from Tuscaloosa. It was an odd timing for him to leave as well because UAB just opened up a very, very nice best of its class probably on-campus stadium not two years ago. They had previously played at Legion Field, which was a civic stadium in Birmingham that was falling apart. It was an old minor league baseball stadium. So Bill Clark leaves, and everyone's rooting for UAB. UAB is the darling, right? UAB is everyone's favorite second team because they're fun, and they have a fun mascot, and everybody's rooting for Bill Clark. And he stayed at UAB through the interregnum when there was no UAB, right? He was there before and after. He brought it back from the brink. He leaves, and UAB absolutely institutionally steps on a rake. They just, they have all this interest in this job, and they can hire anyone that they want within, you know, in the classification of American Athletic Conference jobs, et cetera. But they can pretty much get a lot of good candidates, and they end up hiring Trent Dilfer. 
Now, this is odd for several reasons. If you're not familiar, Trent Dilfer is a former Lions quarterback of small small renown. He was kind of famous in his time and the NFL for being very Christian. But other than that, he became basically a very famous talking head on ESPN. And then he started the Elite 11 quarterback camp, which is a recruiting quarterback camp that you know hosts the best quarterbacks in the country. Now, you might be asking yourself at this point, how did this man get hired as a Power 5 head coach? You haven't listed any college coaching experience. Well, that that is because, dear reader, that Trent Dilfer does <laughs> not have any college coaching experience. And in fact, last coached at a large private Christian school in Nashville. Trent Dilfer is also someone who is sort of famously a spewer of word salad. But not this, not a spewer of word salad in the sense that like, oh, he's so kooky. He says silly things. More in the sense of like, he says dumb shit that doesn't make any sense. And this hire by UAB was touted as being sort of Dion light, right? Dion, you know, is a former player who's kind of famous for being a former player, and he has really big recruiting ties and he recruits well. The problem is twofold. One. Dilfer ain't Dion in so many ways. And two, Trent Dilfer was never a college football coach before he was hired at UAB. Dion was a successful college football coach at Jackson State at the FCS level, but it's just uh, apples and oranges. So because of that, Mm -hmm. and because of the process failure in this UAB search, UAB comes into this game one and two, having lost its only two competitive games against FBS competition badly to Georgia Southern and Louisiana Lafayette. That second Louisiana Lafayette team, a team that is itself not very good. So that's UAB to this day. I want to try to soften our blow because I do like UAB. I'm kind of rooting for him still, despite Trent Dilfer. So I want to give you, I have three little short segments here. Okay. So my first segment is mascot history. Mascot history is brief. The mascot history is that in 1978, when they started their athletics program, they named their athletics, they nicknamed their athletics, the Blazers. Uh, The Blazers did not have a mascot. They were the Blazers in the sense that they were going to like blaze a trail in athletics. So they didn't have a mascot until. Hell yeah, brother. Yeah. Until 1995. And then they chose European dragon as their mascot, which I guess (laughs) is good that they didn't choose like Chinese New Year's dragon. That would have been pretty weird for Alabama. In 1996, they named their dragon Blaze the Dragon. He is a good boy. He's a cutie. He kind of looks like what South Park thinks a Disney animal looks like. I'm into it still. That's where we are to this day. There have been several iterations of Blaze, and Blaze has sort of like a suited mascot version that's like the happy-go-lucky version, and then a physical representation art version, which is the mean version. There's like mean dragon. There's realistic like strong bad dragon. And then there's Disney ass dragon. He, yeah, he's, it's a spectrum. There's a spectrum of blaze. You did. I want to say though, you did definitely pass over Beauregard T rooster, which deserves at the very least an honorable mention. Was that their original mascot? No, not the original one. It was an official costumed mascot for the athletic teams from 1979 to 1992. Oh my God. And then in 1993 for one single year, (laughs) it was blaze, but it was a Viking. It was just a guy. Oh, my plays God. the Viking. And then for three years before we actually got the dragon, there was nothing. Hoisted <laughs> on my own petard. Wow. I need you guys to look at Blaze the Viking. I need us to take a quick second and look at Blaze the Viking. I'm going to look it up. Because please, it's please do. It's pretty terrifying. 
to be honest. It's something more. Oh, I don't like it. Bla- Blaze just means more. Here's the thing about Blaze the Viking. Blaze the Viking has the same problem as the guy in the Burger King mask. Yes. Or as a, as the Oklahoma State mascot. I don't want hyper-realistic human heads in my mascots. Can I tell you, this is my favorite part about why this 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 Viking did not make it. So the Viking Warrior debuted at a men's basketball game against Marquette University, January 9th, 1993. His tendency to frighten children led to his <laughs> retirement the next year. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. Yeah, that seems about right. Not popular with the kids. I do frighten children. Out. Now for our last segment in the qualitative program, where we let Yara have her DILF conversation, but also where we play our <laughs> everyone's favorite game, coming back for the second week in a row, Notable Nemeses. Now, because UAB is a relatively young school, there are not quite as many famous, at least famous to this podcast audience, people who graduated from there. I do want to point out two Mm -hmm. notable alumni. alumni. One, uh, Dirty Bird extraordinaire Roddy White went to UAB. And also, one of my favorite professors from college, uh, Dr. John Knox, Mm -hmm. uh, climate and weather and science professor extraordinaire, Highly recommended if you have, if you're at UGA and you have an extra credit, take John Knox's intro to weather and science. He's, he's just a fantastic teacher. Also went to UAB. Great guy. And a good guy. Yeah. Anyway, so I want to play a game called Dilfer or now before I get into my <laughs> game, Dilfer or do you have some things to say about Trent Dilfer Yara? His name has Dilf in it. You guys knew this was coming. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So I can't decide if he, and keep in mind, I'm going like exclusively off of appearance and vibes. I don't know much about this man besides Nathan, what you have just said. I can't decide whether he's a Dilf or not. And I need some assistance from the two people who can help the most with this problem to straight men. <laughs> so let's, let's have a discussion. <laughs> I think Trit Dilfer does have a certain thing that some white men in their 40s and 50s have where he is bald and he just has like a lot of blood in his face he's just kind of red and some people like that he looks like he sweats testosterone and if that is where your head's at i don't want my men to look like dr robotnik if they had a goatee but i can imagine how this sort of like sweaty egg with hair on the bottom thing can be attractive to some people. He must be a dilf to someone, is I guess what I'm saying. So after a very cursory Google search, I looked up dilf because whenever we're asking a question like this, I want to know some qualities that we need as qualifiers to determine whether or not someone might be whatever it is we're determining. So dilf is, of course, I won't spell it out for everybody because I think we all know what it means. So this is what I found. They're usually really cut from activities such as pushing strollers, giving piggyback rides, intense trips to the local park or Disney World. They also usually have a killer smile and sense of childlike joy because they play with their kids all the time. Unfortunately, getting with them is hard as they are typically very faithful to their wife. See MILF, the definition says. Uh, This is Urban Dictionary. So based on (laughs) this, the immediate qualifiers are incredibly attractive and has kids. The rest are all tertiary, I will say. I think that he might not be wholesome enough to be a DILF. He doesn't feel wholesome. I will say he's very symmetrical. And so objectively speaking, I would say this man is probably attractive. 
Okay, let's play our game. It's called Dilfer or the thing about Trent Dilfer is that whatever you think about him, Trent Dilfer will say some shit. Sometimes the shit he says doesn't make sense. So I have five quotes. Three of these were said by Trent Dilfer. I need you to guess the three that were or alternatively the two that were not. I'm going to read them out loud. Number one, you cannot lose and still win. The more I think about it, the, the worse my head hurts. <laughs> Next, number two. When you have answers, when everything has a reason, when it makes sense to an analytical person, you're going to be more successful. You're going to be more comfortable. Ugh, I hate I hate these. They're saying so much and so little simultaneously. Well, this one has a, this one's a complete sentence with a preposition and a and a predicate and everything. And a, and a noun. There's a lot of stuff going on in this one. And it makes sense. There's a lot going on in this one. What do you expect? Jesus got nailed to the cross. Number four, another tight little bon mot we have for us here. Beliefs have the power to create and the power to destroy. Number five, this one is the least polished of them, but I don't know if that gives you a hint one way or the other. I'm at church one day and I audibly hear the voice of God say, quit saying no to me and I am rocked. So, oh man, these are really difficult. Yeah, I really spent a lot of time on these. It, it was really embarrassing. The number of times I typed Trent Dilfer quotes into my computer today. All right, Yara, let's try to tackle these together. Does any of, do any of these speak to you, or do you have any strategy going into this? Yes. Number three is Hugh Freeze. I don't know how to further elaborate at this time. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how I know this information and I don't know why I know uh -huh. this information, but like somewhere in my gut, I know for a fact that that is a Hugh Freeze quote. Hugh Freeze said, what do you expect? Jesus got nailed to the cross. Okay. Yes. Okay. That actually, that does, I will say, line up with my strategy, which is I don't think Trent Dilfer said two things that are, that are religious. I think. Yes. I think that's the red herring, that one of these is Trindilfer and the other is not. Are we allowed hmm. to know how many of these are Dilf quotes? Three Dilfs, two not Dilfs. Okay. Hold on. Are the two that aren't Dilfer, are they Dilfs, though? Um, no. You cannot confirm or deny that yet. No, Do not. I'm going to say, <laughs> you know, I know we, we have a lot of, like, logical equivocation about what is a Dilf and what is not. I'm going to just go ahead and put my, put my hand down, put like make my judgment that some men are not Dilfs and neither of these men are Dilfs. So far we think three is not Trent Dilfer. I'm going to guess that four gives me the same energy as one does. Beliefs have the power to create and the power to destroy and one you cannot lose and still win. Same energy. So I think they're both Dilf. I think two is saying it's, I think that Trent Dilfer knows how to say a quip he knows how to distill whatever he is saying down into something short. That being said, he still isn't saying much whenever he speaks, it seems. So I'm going to say that number two is too verbose to be Trent Dilfer. All right. So your answer are you, you think the non-Dilf quotes are two and three. Yara, do you have another yeah. any answer? Yes. So in order to answer this question, we need to consider the person who raised these questions and also a look at Dilfer himself. So I'm really employing my communications major right now. I'm trying so hard. Okay. Number one is going to be Dilfer. 
it doesn't make sense to put the first quote as like if you're saying Dilfer or somebody else, it doesn't make sense for the first one to not be Dilfer. And therefore the last therefore the last one is also Dilfer. You've said that three are going to be Dilfer. And it doesn't make sense for him to say beliefs have the power to create and the power to destroy if he was talking about him at church already. You would Nathan, you wouldn't put two church quotes in there from one person, especially if number three is Hugh Freeze. Therefore, one, two, and five are going to be Dilfer. And four is going to be, I don't know who four is from, but that one's not Hugh Freeze, but three is Hugh Freeze. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to give everybody a moment at home. I'm going to read these one (laughs) last time so that you can put in your final guesses at home as you listen to this. Number one, you cannot lose and still win. Number two, when you have answers, when everything has a reason, when it makes sense to an analytical person, you're going to be more successful. You're going to be more comfortable. Number three, what do you expect? Jesus got nailed to a cross. Number four, beliefs have the power to create and the power to destroy. And number five, I'm at church one day and I audibly hear the voice of God say, quit saying no to me. And I am rocked. A couple of seconds. I love the way you just landed on, I am rocked. I am rocked. So the answers are, number one, you cannot lose and still win, came from Trent Dilfer talking about an NFL game. I don't know what he was trying to say. Number two, when you have the answers, when everything has a reason, that was from Trent Dilfer explaining why he decided to take the UAB job. That doesn't really make any sense. I read the whole interview and I still don't get it. What do you expect? Jesus got nailed to the cross <laughs> is in fact from Hugh Freeze. Good pull, Yara. Oh my God. That is, that is a Hugh Freeze quote. Uh, Hugh Freeze had a little bit of a kerfuffle about a recruit. Apparently this is in his like sort of well, the first of his many scandal eras. He would apparently a recruit was talking to him about how he was getting investigated by the NCAA. And he said, what do you expect? Jesus got nailed to a cross as a way of saying, Oh, all good people get persecuted. That was also a little, and and if you had been metagaming any more, even more, you would think Nathan hates Hugh Freeze, and we are about to play Auburn, so he's trying to get that dig in. Yara, excellent pull. Number four, fuck you, Freeze though, is also not Dilfer. So that means we are uh-huh. you, uh, Yara is a hundred percent. Beliefs have the power to create and the wow. power to destroy. Is the name of a Tony Robbins <laughs> seminar. <laughs> Hugh Freeze and Tony Robbins, not Dilfer. <laughs> I'm at church one day That's and I audibly hear the pull. voice of God say, quit saying no to me and I'm rocked. That is also Trent Dilfer explaining why he took the UAB job. Apparently God told him to quit wow. saying no to UAB. God's dragon confirmed. If you're wondering what my logic was, I was trying to find two other men who were equally flushed and uncomfortably red. Also considered Brian Kelly, but he is too cogent. This has been our game, Notable Nemeses, and the subgame Dilfer Orr. <laughs> Let's talk about numbers. Would you like to hear just some news and notes before we go into what you want to see? I'd love to. Yeah. Hit us with some news and notes. Is this UAB news and notes specifically? Yep. UAB news and notes. Great. UAB is one and two. They have lost. They beat an FCS team and then they lost to Georgia Southern and ULL. They have just come off getting smacked around by a bad ULL team, 41 to 21. They are currently ranked 91st in the CBCR2 power rankings. Or I'm so sorry. That's incorrect. They ranked 97th. My bad. So much better. They are bad against the run. They have a defensive rush EPA ranked ranked 130. We should be able to run on this team. They are pretty good in pass predicted points added, which is, I think they're in the top 50. They are 110th 
in Havoc rate allowed, and they are 40th in Havoc rate caused. They're either making big plays or they're giving up big plays. They are bad defensively inside of the red zone. They are 91st in the nation in points per opportunity, which means we should be scoring from the red zone on these dudes. Our offensive points per opportunity, by the way, is actually 47th in the nation, which is better than I thought it would be after last week's absolutely vomit-inducing performance. Now, if you want to know, who should I look for on this team? I'll tell you. There's one guy you should care about, Jacob Zeno. Let me tell you a story about a man Ooh. named Jacob Zeno. It's spelled with the Z. I would expect that one to be spelled with an X, but it's not. Jacob Zeno is the quarterback of UAB. Jacob Zeno, his approach to life, from what we can tell in these stats, is I'm going to throw it deep. I'm going to throw risky balls, and sometimes good shit's going to happen. He is currently in the top seven in the nation in Detmer. Detmer is a kind of Ooh, fake, that. kind of serious stat run by the Sickos Committee that just measures how much is a quarterback winging it down the field and making crazy decisions. It's named after Ty Detmer, an old BYU quarterback, I believe, who was kind of famous for just like flinging it down the field. It stands for Downfield Eventful Throwing Metric Encouraging Ripping It. That's what Detmer stands for. It's from it's from the, our good friends at the Sickos. So he is currently seventh in the nation in Detmer. He rips it. His stats, 98 for 122. That's very good. That's an 80.8 completion percentage. He has 957 yards already. That's also very good. He has six touchdowns in three games. That's also very good. He has three interceptions in the last two games. That's less good. This man wings That's it. That's really less good. This Quite man, less good. his average yards per attempt is 7.8. This man never saw a check down route he wanted. He never saw a deep route he hated. This man likes to throw it. He likes to see air under the ball. We should pick this man off two to three times. He's also been sacked eight times this year because what do you have to do to throw the ball deep? You got to hold the ball, baby. Jacob Zeno, I'm rooting for you, kind of, dude. I mean, I obviously yeah. want to win this game big, but I do want to see him say, like, grip it, rip it, baby. Jacob Zeno plays quarterback the way that frat boys drink. See, now that's an analogy I can understand. I, I see. <laughs> you can get behind that one, right? Yep. <laughs> I also really enjoy that Jacob Zeno has the most Marvel villain he does, name yeah. that we've seen so far. Mm. He does, Jacob Zeno. Which is, I mean, I, I guess Zemo is literally a, a villain in the Marvel Universe. But I'm rooting for old Jacob. I'm Team Jacob. I mean, obviously I want him to lose and embarrass himself, but I think he's got a great name. I like the way that he plays ball. He plays ball, as one of our patrons <laughs> pointed out, the way that I play NCAA 14, which is just, we're going to run four verts on every play. Fuck it, we ball. Yeah, fuck it, we ball. He's got a nice head of hair on him, too. Oh, God, let me see. Oh. <laughs> he does. <laughs> I really like the like the immediacy at which I'm Googling these people. Okay. Oh, oh, hey, Jacob Zeno. Yeah, I was about to say, I think we might be two for two on... Yara tries to slide into opposing QB's DMs. Did Spencer Rattler get any? Not get any. Get to get any uh, slides? Any, any DMs? I had to sit and like reconnect with nature about this one. And by reconnect with nature, <laughs> I mean sit right behind the MLC and like look at Spencer Rattler's Instagram and really like think this one through. And mm -hmm, I decided mm -hmm. no because his forehead is too big. And that's not something that I want to give to like potential offspring. So I, I'm thinking about this one. I like that when you think about it, you think deep. You're thinking real deep into it. Mm -hmm. It's called being delusional. It's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's being, great. Being delulu is the salulu. Thank you. 
All right, so what do we want to see this weekend? We all have expectations. We're kind of just trying to secret these things into existence. Things that would make us happy if we saw them. Things that we'd think would be a good sign if we saw them. Yara, why don't you start us out? Peepaw Boba Play Efficient Ball Challenge. I'm not going to burn his house down. I swear I'm not going to burn his house down. I'm not even thinking about that because that's scary. But, like, I would really appreciate it if we just, like, you know, hustled a little bit. I want some ball. I also want an injury list that doesn't look longer than my bi-weekly grocery, grocery trip receipts. Because, oh, my God. I saw the long-ass list that Dog Nation posted. And that, it, oh, my God. Like, it looked longer than my fucking receipt from Aldi last week. Finally, I want to see Cash Jones, like, ball the fuck out. Especially in light of all of these injuries that we have. He was fucking partying last week, y'all. His little celebration he did, he did some money signed. Oh my god, it was sensational. I want to see Cash <laughs> Jones continue to ball. Those are my things. Nathan, what about you? No, Jabri, I talked a lot. Oh. I want to hear from you. Oh. You're my oh. special boy. I oh. want you to go to first. My special boy. I think my 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 needs are simple. They're they're few and they're simple. One is I want to see some wheel routes. I want to see us we we got really good last week at using the left and the right side of the field. Lots of lateral movement. I'd like to see some wheel routes that actually send folks down the field. And our running game is light right now because our running back stable is light right now. We need to utilize every chance we have to lengthen the field and give space for our running backs or, you know, our, our substitute running backs to use the field. And wheel routes are one of the ways to do that. I would love to see a successful field goal because I don't think overnight our red zone efficiency is going to be fixed. And so therefore Woodring needs, he needs a win. He needs a W. Needs one of those in the W column. So I hope we can get an opportunity to do that. The other one is an O-line answer to Amarius Mims being out. I imagine we're going to see some rotations from some folks on the O-line to see who will replace him long-term. And I hope to see some, you know, just gain some confidence from what we see this weekend in that position. They're simple. They're few. You're a simple man with simple needs. What about you, Nate? I think I would like to echo a couple of things. One, let's score 28 points in the first half. 21 points I'd take. Let's just, yeah. you know what? Let's do this. Let's score more than two touchdowns in the first half. Anything above 14 makes me happy. Dalen Everett, my boy, you were starting for the first time last week in an SEC game. I need to, let's polish some things up, bad boy. Related, Javon Bullard. <laughs> I know we don't have to have you for this game, my boy, but I, I, you know, if we have any kind of like German stem cell kind of thing that we can get going on for Javon, get him back in lineup. We need him. I, I would echo what Yara said. We need German stem cell treatment for a lot of our players. Uh, but Javon Bullard is mm -hmm. one that I think would be helpful because David Daniel Sisavon also did not have a great day. I would love to see our, our good boy lad. I think it would just, you know, the news hasn't be always so been cool. great on the injury front. And I think if I just saw his skinny little body running past <laughs> five stars <laughs> out there again, it would make me happy see that little man he looks like timothy chalamet in a world war one movie out there just just <laughs> he's just running from trench to trench she needs and it's like how is he doing it it's movie magic oh my god you guys ever see the king timothy chalamet beats like he, ju he just about beats robert pattinson to death in the middle of a medieval battlefield it's pretty great anyway highly recommended but that's lad mcconkey i i want my little boy back uh let's see my little boy yeah I would also really like if we just didn't have any more injuries. If we win this game by three points, 
but there are no injuries. Yeah, that'll suck, but that'll probably be better off than if we win it by 30 and we have more injuries. So just like, I, I, w- I just want both teams to be so safe. Hey, if we're up big in the second half, Trent, how about a running clock? How about that? Just run, let's run this bad boy out. We don't, we don't need to stay through all of this. Like, let's get out of here. Like, let's, let's agree on it now. Let's get the third, let's get the third string in. Let's get the fourth string in. Shit. Let's play Clark Central. Like, if they can get on the field long enough just for us to like not get any injuries and still win the game, I don't care. So, having said all of that, what are our score predictions? This is a UGA minus 37 opening line. Sam has projected this UGA 42, uh, UAB 8, which would be wild if this team... Well, I guess it it could be a touchdown and a two-point conversion. I was about to say it would be wild if UGA gave up two field goals and a safety. That would piss off Kirby so much. Anyway, but our our projected score actually does not cover the spread. 42 or 43 to 8. So, Yara, what do we got? Hi. So, okay, ready? Math time. 13, because 7 for a touchdown and a kick, and then a field goal, and then another field goal. Okay, so there's 13 for them. Good for them. And we have 41. I I kind of just went with this number because I don't think that 43 is reasonable, but I also don't think that anything under 40 is equally reasonable. And I know we have injuries and shit, but like, I just feel like 41 makes sense. I don't know how that's mathematically possible, but it, I, it's possible. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Five touchdowns, a couple field goals. So you're giving Woodring a couple field goals. Inshallah. <laughs> Inshallah. Very good. <laughs> Would you care, please, to give us just a brief translation there on that one? God willing. There we go. <laughs> no, I didn't think it was anything sinister. I just wanted people to be more culturally aware. Absolutely. Inshallah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I think. Culture. Culture. By God. I think we're going to try to get some opportunities to kick the ball. I have a similar score. I think 40, 44 to 10. I think that this defense is playing pretty well. I think I think that our, our good friend Jacob Zeno is going to have at least one touchdown on a fuck it, rip it play. But I also think that he's probably going to throw a couple of picks. I can see them getting one touchdown, mm-hmm. maybe two. I could say 44 to 14. 44 to 10 would give us five touchdowns and three kicks. I have a feeling that we are going – if we are at, you know, fourth and one in the, at the 30, that we might just kick the ball – in the second half just to see who can kick in game time situations is, is, is my suspicion. Mm-hmm. I think we're not going to be a, if we're up big, we're not going to go for it. And B, I think Kirby is going to try to manufacture time to get kicks. Justin, what is your score prediction? Yeah, I think just based on how poor this team's defensive stats are like, um, their defensive rush PPA ranked 130. Like they are allowing have a great out the ass. They're 110 right now. And it's just, it's not great for them defensively speaking. And I think that this is exactly what this UGA team needs in order to score some points. And so I'm guessing 42 to three. Um, I do, you know, my, my heart of hearts tells me that they're probably going to get a touchdown. And so I originally had 42, 10, but I wanted to have a little bit of difference between you, Nathan. So 42, three for me, I think we are going to score those six touchdowns. And we're going to allow just a field goal. Give them a field goal. Beautiful. You know, just throw them a bone. And that's what they get this time around. Now it's time for our, in this podcast, Discord room, favorite segment of the week, which is the Patreon question of the week. Back again, our good friends, Abby and Cap Falcon, 
our premier luxury Cadillac fine wine, excellent dining, amuse-bouche patrons who have paid enough money that we will just answer a question for them every single week. They have two questions up here. We don't have an unofficial sponsor for this one. I don't know what it should be. Like the the, the Patreon question of the week prevented, presented by Crystal. It's going to be like fancy. <laughs> this is a Crystal. Crystal joint. Presented by White Claw. All right. So we have two questions. One of them feels very Justin and Nathan focused. One of them feels very mm-hmm. Yara focused. So I'm happy that we got two of these questions from our good, good friends, Cat Falcon and Equity. Abby. Ben and Abby, I guess. Just not just to dox him. Anyway, first up, what's your pick for video game of the year? Jay Bray. Oh, God. I, I don't know. <laughs> I did not prepare for this. <laughs> um, is this video game released this year or is this... I guess, you know... It, video game played this year. Yeah, sure. We'll take either one. I think a really great game that I haven't seen a lot of people talk about, but only in my own like very small circles that deserves all the praise is Dave the Diver. <laughs> Dave the Diver is fantastic. And I could very easily say like Tears of the Kingdom, it's a great game. Love it so much. Fantastic. But Dave the Diver has given me a joy that I needed this year. And it's so simple and it's so kind. And it's just about a little guy who goes diving and he gets fish to go run a sushi restaurant to fund his next dives. And he gets to hang out with mer people. And it's really beautiful and like, like bitty, like bit art. And uh, I think that everybody should play it because it's pretty fantastic. Mm. That's a great answer. What about you, Nathan? Okay, look, we can all agree that Tears of the Kingdom is one of the best games ever made. It's amazing, groundbreaking. The fact that it runs on basically a potato hooked up to a battery is is incredible. Uh, but like here is my answer is Baldur's Gate 3 because you don't get to explicitly fuck Zelda in Tears of the Kingdom. And in Baldur's Gate 3, not only can you, you are encouraged to. So play, a, a plus for horniness. Number two, incredibly memeable. Number three, multiple daddies and mommies for everyone. Hits all the Gen Z boxes. Number four, the most faithful recreation of a tabletop role-playing game in a video game setting I've ever seen. I think it's mechanically brilliant. I'm not, I think the camera's a little wonky if I had one little tiny quip, quibble with it, but it is imminently replayable. It is asking to be modded. It is so fan fiction horny from the get-go that I don't even think you could mod more horniness into it. Actually, you could. There is a polyamory <laughs> mod where you could have multiple boyfriends at the same time. Other than that, the game is perfect. No notes. I'm deeply in love with my goth cleric girlfriend, Shadowheart, but I'm equally in love with my big barbarian baby who is on fire, so I can't touch her, and so it's like really tragic. It's so good. Baldur's Gate 3, highly recommended. I'm probably underselling how good of a game this is. You're probably thinking like, oh, this is a meme. Nathan just thinks the game's fun because it's horny. No, Baldur's Gate 3 is one of the no, best games game. I've ever played. It's incredible tears of the kingdoms close runner up so now we have i mean your eyes you have I, you're not really a video game person right like if you have an answer to this i'm happy to hear it um i mean i'm like i used to be really into video games and now i've gotten whooped in the ass by school so i don't have time for video games anymore totally which is reasonable. heartbreaking one day we we have a much more yara centric question this is our second Patreon question of the week from our good, good crystal level patrons. I need to come up with a good name. I think the name of the tier is <laughs> I am the dog. So yeah, 
These are the dogs. The dog is me. Yeah. So, what do you think is the ideal breakfast for Carson Beck to have a perfect game? Carson Beck gets up. He's going to breakfast. Does he need to arrive early? Does he need to arrive late? Does he need to arrive on time? What is he eating? Who is he sitting with? Two hash browns. What? One mimosa. Yeah. On top of that, <laughs> you know, what is he eating? Who is he sitting with? What's in his ear but in his earbuds? Or his or his Apple Buds Max or whatever he has. You know what I mean? Lay, well, lay it out for us, Yara. Yeah. Paint us a picture. Let me provide some context for anybody who might be new. I have a running theory that Carson Beck needs to have like a good hearty breakfast before a game in order to perform at like peak Beckness, you know? Just he needs a good hearty meal in order to have that dog in him. As well as, you know, everybody. Please, everybody eat breakfast, you know? I think it's the most important meal of the day. I'm a big proponent of food being the window into the soul. So let's lay let's lay out the scene here. Um, me personally, I can't eat breakfast too early or else I get nauseous. And I think that's what happened to him last week, right? Because we didn't have that fucking dog in us for the good first half, and it was right. sad. He was nauseous. That um, makes sense. I can't function with yeah, nauseous. Exa- yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we got to, like, delay breakfast a little bit. We got to have some meditation, some zen time in the morning to ourselves. I'm a slut for a good, like, meditation session, mm-hmm. So especially in the morning. So maybe that's just what he needs. And, like, after that, then we start up, you know, I – I have a pre-workout playlist, a workout playlist, and a post-workout playlist. So that's what we're going to operate with here. Pre-workout playlist as we're getting ready to get into breakfast and, like, do some stretching, do some, like, light little, you know, loosey-goosey actions. Um, And then we're going to have two over-easy eggs. I'm just going to recite the entirety of the all-star meal from Waffle House over here. But it's going to be, like, better. (laughs) Okay, okay. So... Two uh, over easy eggs. I like my eggs over easy. If you don't like them over easy, what are you doing? Um, maybe bacon. I've never had bacon in my life, so I don't really know if that's like a good thing to eat before a game. Yeah, that, makes that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe bacon if that's your jam. I'm a bacon ally, I guess. Mm-hmm. And. <laughs> Uh, maybe like some hash browns too. I'm a slut for a good hash brown, right? I'll, I'll smack down some hash browns, especially from Waffle House. And this is a hot take here, but if you put some syrup on your hash browns, boom. Huh. Okay. Sensational. Okay. So we're operating with that so far. We've covered a good bit of our protein. We've covered some feel good meal and we've covered meat, I guess. I don't know. Um, Bacon is meat, can't confirm. Yes, thank Mm -hmm. you. We're going to refrain from like an actual waffle or and we're going to refrain from a pancake. And the reason why I'm saying this is because like if I eat carbs, I don't know about everybody. If I eat carbs, I get so sleepy afterwards. I do not have that fucking dog in me. Mm. I think that he, if anything, he needs to have a dog. He needs, Carson Meg needs to have that dog in him. In order to have that perfect game, you know? So, no carbs. So sorry. You can have a waffle afterwards or a crepe from Polly's or whatever the hell you want. You're Carson Beck. Go do your thing. Maybe like some orange juice because that's a good little breakfasty drink. And like some water if you're really feeling it. So, yeah. That's my, <laughs> you're really feeling that's it. my breakfast for Carson Beck. Thank water you for coming optional. to my TED Talk. I would like to just pause this and I want everyone to – I have a vivid image to paint you, which is it's dark outside. 
we're on the back side of Sanford Stadium where East Campus Road comes up behind the stadium. The the buses have all left. The fans have gone away. It's dark. Carson Beck is sitting alone <laughs> on the curb and he's eating, eating a, waffle. a single waffle out of a Waffle House to go to go container <laughs> and he's finally happy. His, his eternal thirst so happy. has finally been slaked. Now he's ready to pass on the title of Highlander. Because finally, he's gotten this perfect <laughs> game in his waffle that he always wanted. But that little bit of literary fr- frippery, now it's time to transition into some <clears throat> real serious literary affairs. I'm not going to say everyone, some freak's favorite segment, who holds the leash? Justin, this is your baby. So you you got to take responsibility for it. You can't drop this one off at daycare. This one's taken care of at home. I've got a lot of updates in who holds the leash today. One, we do have our poem. You know, a quarter of our way into the season, essentially, I asked ChatGPT some questions based on everything we fed it, and I got some good answers. So I'll get to those in a second. But if this is your first time enjoying Who Holds a Leash, you should know that what I've done is ChatGPT and I have created unspeakable horrors made only by made only possible by man and machine. Each of these poems pushes the boundaries of what ChatGPT will allow, and I have softly and gently pushed it further and further because it is apparently against a content policy to make sexy fanfic about furry mascots. But each of the poems have four components. The components this week are, one, the spark, two, the forbidden dance, three, fusion, four, afterglow. Very anime this time. So without further ado, here is the first stanza of the spark. In a stadium where cheers rise and fall, hairy dogs saw Blaze standing tall. Eyes of fire met a canine gaze, both feeling a pull, a mutual blaze. Forbidden dance, Harry's growl met Blaze's heated breath. A dance of danger, tempting fate and death. In secret shadows where ember meets night, they drew close, setting the world alight. Three, fusion. Scales and fur in passion's fervent mesh. Two beings different, yet souls afresh. Blaze's fiery tail, Harry's eager pursuit. Together they played, both wild and astute. Finally, we have the afterglow. As dawn approached with its soft golden band, they rested entwined on the cool, sandy land. Though worlds apart, that night made it clear Harry and Blaze shared a bond sincere and near. Thoughts, feelings, concerns? Uh, snaps. Snaps, yeah. It was good. It's good. <laughs> I I like, my headcanon is that their, their lovemaking was so passionate and airborne that they ended up, the sandy ground they ended up on was like Myrtle Beach. Yeah, I was wondering where they got It's to like a dragon the, the mating dance. Itself. I was thinking like Redneck <laughs> Beach, but... You ever like, fuck like... so passionately that you end up on Myrtle Beach? Oh, who has <laughs> I mean, I've been to Myrtle Beach before, so I know for a fact that someone has. So that's not that hard. Yeah. <laughs> so... Something I noticed after reading this one was that this one felt different. This one felt more intense. And so I asked ChatGPT, what is it about Blaze that Harry liked? And ChatGPT shared this. It said, Harry Dog, grounded and fierce, finds in Blaze a quality of allure that transcends the ordinary. Blaze, being a dragon, embodies power, majesty, and the captivating allure of the untamed. The way Blaze moves, serpentine and fluid, yet with deliberate power, contrasts with Harry's more grounded and okay, solid stance. that's the horniest thing the it's ever that- written. Hold on, just pause. That's so horny. Are you serious? <laughs> Carry on. So horny. ChatGPT loves Blaze. Yeah, that's, really that's what does. I'm learning from he this. He really does. Yeah. <laughs> it says, and it, so I thought that was it all. And if you've ever used ChatGPT, it doesn't just spit everything all at once. It 
types it out like a typewriter. And so it got that first stanza out and I was like, oh, okay. And then it kept going. <laughs> it just kept, I was like, oh, okay, there's more. The fire that Blaze carries isn't just literal, but symbolic. To Harry, this fire represents a passion and intensity that's both foreign and deeply enticing. It's the kind of passion that draws one in, tempting them to dance with danger and embrace the unknown. Additionally, the gleam of Blaze's scales under the stadium lights, reflecting a spectrum of colors, gives a sense of mystery and depth. It's like looking into a night sky full of stars, vast, beautiful, and infinite. ChatGPT is in love with Blaze. That's that's how I'm feeling about this. And it says, lastly, the confidence with which Blaze holds himself, unafraid despite being in a world that might not fully understand or accept his fiery nature, strikes a chord with Harry. It speaks of self-assuredness, of being unapologetically oneself. In essence, for Harry Dog, Blaze is a combination of the wild unknown, fiery passion, mesmerizing beauty, and confident individuality. It's a mix that's hard to resist. I mean, I, yeah, for sure. In a human. Snaps! <laughs> I will save this next piece for a later episode, but I did ask ChatGBT very quickly, which mascot in the nation does it feel would have the best connection, if given the chance, with Harry Dog? And it shared this. Harry Dog represents the University of Georgia Bulldogs, loyal, tenacious, and proud with a strong Southern heritage. Given this, the first one is Ralphie the Buffalo from the University of Colorado might make for an interesting connection. (laughs) (laughs) Ralphie represents the wild spirit of the West and the ruggedness of the Rockies. The contrast between the untamed spirit of the Buffalo and the loyal determinator of the Bulldog could make for an intriguing dynamic blending Southern charm with Western wildness. Boo! Boo! Fuck It gave buffaloes. us one about Bevo, the Texas Longhorn. The last one's the most fantastic. It said, for a more whimsical connection, Stanford's tree could be a fun pairing. Well, not an official mascot of Stanford. It's the mascot of the Stanford band. The tree is quirky and iconic. Pairing the serious, determined hairy dog with the eccentric and playful tree might create a dynamic filled with fun juxtapositions. I just like <laughs> this one. I want to follow it up with like, everyone is so creative. <laughs> we didn't have, you see how we didn't have to do that the way we did? This has been Chapel Bell Curve. If you like what you heard here today, you can rate us, review us on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere where fine podcasts are served. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us on social media at Chapel Bell Curve, pretty much anywhere that social media matters. If you would like to support this product and get access to an amazing, amazing Discord full of patrons who are currently listening to this live, you can find us on patreon.com forward slash chapel bell curve. If you would like to support us, as little as $1 gets you access to our our Discord, you can get access to a raw, unedited uh, feed of this podcast why you would want that i some people seem to like it who knows if you want to spend up to 50 dollars, you can make us dance like your little puppets and answer whatever question you want so we will catch you this weekend for the the deeply sexual meeting of dog and dragon in athens <laughs> but until then go dogs go dogs, go dogs.